0: Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah Powers.
1: And I'm Megan Francis. And you're listening to a special series from the Mom Hour podcast called Pandemic Perspectives.
0: In this series of episodes, we're talking to parents and people from around the world whose lives are affected by the COVID-19 global pandemic in a way that might not make it into your social media feeds quite as often.
1: You'll hear from families on the front lines experiencing an unprecedented time in a very specific way, and you'll hear what's challenging as well as what's hopeful. We can't wait to share their stories with you. Welcome to Pandemic Perspectives from The Mom Hour.
0: Hey, everyone. This is Sarah, and you're listening to Pandemic Perspectives from The Mom Hour. Today, I'm talking with Jessie, a mom from Utah who has a toddler and just recently brought home newborn twins. Jessie, uh, welcome, first of all, and tell us about your family and um, how old everybody is today and where you all live. Hi, Sarah. Thanks. Um,
2: So we live in Roy, Utah. My husband and I have been married for seven years, and we have a two-and-a-half-year-old little girl, and we just had twin girls on February
0: 5th. Well, congratulations, first of all. Thank you. Um, And is everybody home with you now?
2: They are, finally. They're two months old, and one of our twins, Briar, has spent about half of her life in the hospital. Wow. So we're all home, which feels great.
0: Oh, good. Well, we're going to get into that hospital stay because um, you experienced kind of the, the national shutdown in a very... Unique and different way. So, do you mind briefly kind of talking through the timeline of when the twins were born and then when you went back into the hospital and how that kind of relates to what was happening globally?
2: Yeah, sure. So they were born um, at 35 weeks on February fifth, which for twins was pretty good. Yeah, um, they were five pounds each. They seemed pretty healthy. Our first twin came out breech, and when she did that, she inhaled some amniotic fluid, so she had to spend ten days in the NICU. Um, Our second twin was our littlest and she just came out screaming and was ready to come home that very minute. (laughs) She's been been a feisty little fighter this whole time. But so the second twin, Clara, came home right away. Briar was in the hospital for a little bit and then she came home. And when we took Briar home, they even said when we were bringing her home from the NICU, we said, what could we do? And they said the best thing with them being so little is just make sure they don't get sick. Uh-huh. We said, no problem. We're not having visitors. We've got hand sanitizer. Our toddler doesn't go to school or anything. We're going to be great. Right. Two weeks later, our toddler had RSV. Oh, my God. And despite our best efforts, a few days later, our twins got both diagnosed with RSV.
0: So let's pause there in case moms aren't familiar. I have actually had kids with RSV as well. And, you know, most people right now are talking about COVID 19, but RSV yep. is. Also viral respiratory, correct, and it's most yes. um, most intense for the littlest uh, among us. I had a one year old have it one time, and that was pretty intense. But I know that um, preemies and and little babies are at highest risk. So did everybody just show up with a fever and kind of that kind? Of, and did you kind of know right away that they'd need to be seen?
2: No. So we were watching the twins for a fever for a long time. And my husband and I, we both got a little bit of a cold. In my toddler, it was a cold. And the twins, we didn't know anything was wrong until they started to cough. We actually took them in just to the pediatrician and they said, yeah, it's RSV. It's really mild. Take them home. They'll be fine. And it was only an hour later. We have the outlet monitors that monitor yeah. their oxygen levels on their feet because they were so little. Mm-hmm. Briar's level went off red and she stopped breathing. And oh when we tried to wake gosh. her up, she was completely unresponsive. Oh my gosh. So that was terrifying. We unswaddled her. We were shaking her. We were putting cold hands on her, trying to wake her up. They were, they were just so little, they got sick that fast.
3: Oh, my goodness. And so
2: we took her right into the ER, and they asked us to bring her twin in as well, because if one's that sick, the other one probably is as well. So they both were admitted to our local hospital, mckay that same day. And at that point, nothing really – we had heard about COVID-19 but at that point it hadn't really affected us here it didn't seem that big of a deal we were mostly focused on the rsv right and, the and this is like
0: early march for the timeline right like first week yep. of march they were admitted march 7th it was a saturday okay and then just keep telling the story i know a little bit cuz you emailed us but um you know from what megan and i for in our communities it was around march 13th that like really the the country started to shut down so how How did that play out, and how did that relate to your hospital stay with the twins?
2: It was pretty strange because we were watching it all happen kind of from a hospital and keeping track of the news because there's not much to do when you're waiting with sick kids, but just absorb news on your phone. But there was nothing we could do. So they were both admitted on Saturday, March 7th. Um, They were, they continued to get worse and worse. So they were lifelighted to primary children's um, early on the morning of Tuesday, March 10th. So Briar went first and my husband went with her. And same as the sickness had been right afterwards, Clara got sick. And so I went with her. So we were both down a little bit of waste from home. At first it didn't seem like that big of a deal. The first thing we noticed was that they were going to stop children visitors. Our Mm -hmm. toddler got to come and visit once. And they like changed the rule while she was on her way. And oh they made gosh. an exception for her since she was coming. So she was probably one of the last under 18 yeah. visitors to come to the hospital. But so that was the first rule to change. I don't think we realized how serious things were, though, until later that week when school shut down. Mm-hmm. That was when it suddenly became, it seemed very serious. And you could tell that things were changing. Yeah. And that didn't happen until Friday. Yeah. Um, and from there, we just watched things slowly start to shut
0: down. Yeah. So the hospital must have just kind of gone into its own version of lockdown over those next few days. So then what did that mean for you guys being there? You Could you leave?
2: At first we could. So it was pretty interesting because we got there right as it was shutting down. Initially, things were normal and we were at Primary Children's, which is a really wonderful hospital for kids. But because of that, they have a lot of great amenities for parents. Uh-huh. They have this big kitchen where you can cook whatever foods you want. They have volunteers that were coming in almost twice a day to make like a lunch and a dinner. Oh, wow! They had rooms you could sleep in. If you like reserved it, you could get a bed for the night. They had showers, they had laundry. In a lot of ways, it was really, really well-equipped to make parents feel as comfortable as they could during whatever it was they were right. having to deal with. And then, while we were there, we just watched first, there were no kid visitors. Then the next thing to go were the volunteers. so those mm-hmm. meals that were being catered went away, right. So then there was no volunteers. Then the visitor number got limited. Who could come, and then there were no visitors, which, with our girls being so little, really meant that my husband and I couldn't leave before we could switch and have someone else come sit with one of our babies and we right. could go see our toddler. But when it was only parents, both parents were with a kid. So neither of us could really leave.
0: And how long did that last? Once that was all in place, how long until you guys were out of there?
2: Briar was in the hospital for 16 days and Clara was in the hospital for 12 days. So for a long time, they were both, both in the pediatric ICU and they managed to put our twins next to each other and separated by a curtain, but we could pull the curtain back. So we were able to be in one room. So my husband and I could see each other. Okay. But when Clara got moved to the pediatric ward because she was doing better and Briar was still intubated, my husband and I really couldn't see each other. They weren't weren't allowing parents to switch on and off, which makes sense if one parent left and contracted a virus and brought yeah. it in. Yeah, But we weren't allowed to switch. So we were in the same hospital, but we really couldn't see each other.
0: So you're, you, like as you tell this, your voice sounds so sort of calm and straightforward. I feel like I want to pause and say to our listeners, this means that you and your husband could not see each other neither of you could see your toddler who is being cared for by family you have little to no hospital amenities like you said the beds and the showers and the volunteer meals for basically 2 weeks is that correct like that exactly. is exactly even the kitchen got
2: shut down pretty quickly so the food that we could eat was what we were able to snag from a Maverick on our way up there we had a little bucket that had and they had some like granola bars and things you could eat at the hospital for 2 but, weeks. But yeah, it was a we were changing every few days in a public bathroom. We were eating just what we could and really just killing time. And the other hard part was we were just absorbing all this media news and hearing things about how the country's going on shutdown, grocery stores are running out of food. And we're just sitting at a hospital thinking, well, we can't do anything about that right now.
0: Oh, my gosh. And I'm, I'm sure you were in touch with people by text and thank goodness for our phones. What was the prognosis of the twins at that time? Was it were they in pretty critical condition or was it looking hopeful and like they just needed time? What was your worry level for the twins during this time?
2: The doctors were always pretty good because I don't have any kind of medical background. So they'd come explain things to me and I'd have to ask them to tone it, to tone <laughs> it down for me. Briar was intubated. She was in pretty critical condition for a long time. She was intubated for almost a full week. And they did say that that meant there would be some, a long process of recovery. But they were always good to tell us at this point, we expect both twins to make a full recovery. Okay. It's just taking time. Just They're time. just so little.
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, just Um. I just want to like for everybody listening, you've only been now home. So that ended and you were allowed to go home. But the world that you left the hospital on, what would that be like, March 20 something like, you know, second half of the month was a very different month. I mean, different, very different world than when you'd gone in. So what was that like? coming home. um, And now it's only been a couple weeks, right? How long have you been home?
2: I got home with Clara, I want to say somewhere around the 18th. Briar didn't get home until the 22nd.
0: And so from about then, have you been a family of five at home?
2: Yes. So I came home with Clara first. And I just remember that like anxiety because we had just been reading so much about you have to get home. My big fear was if somehow my toddler were to get sick, mm-hmm. COVID-19 isn't, they're saying isn't too dangerous for kids. Hopefully right. my big fear was that would mean she'd have to be quarantined from us for 14 days. Right. I'm on immune suppressants. Okay. So that was my big anxiety in the hospitals. I was like, I just want our whole family together. If she yeah. ends up having to get quarantined for another 14 days, I won't have seen my daughter in a month. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine how hard that would be to be away from your toddler for those two weeks.
2: No, that was our big, that was our big anxiety was just, it felt like we had all these different pieces and we were just desperately trying to get our family of five back in one spot.
0: Were you able to FaceTime at all during that time with her? A
2: little bit. The PICU where we were at, our room didn't get great service.
0: Of course. Just one more,
2: one more little thing. Exactly. So it was hard. It was hard to get a hold of her occasionally when we would leave the PIC, we could go out into like the lobby of the hospital and see her.
0: Okay. Um. And so you've now been home for a couple weeks with all five of you. And I assume that just like most of us, you are not leaving your house and you're probably taking extra precautions. Is your husband, is he working from home? Is anybody leaving the house at this point?
2: No, nope, we're pretty lucky. He works in IT, which means he can work from home pretty easily. Okay.
0: Well, now that you are home, what what feels hard right now? What's challenging for you guys right now?
2: I think just anxiety. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I said, we consumed a lot of news and stuff while we were sitting in the hospital. And then to come home, especially the first day when it was just me and little Clara, and I couldn't have family or friends come over to not even help, but just keep you company. Yeah, yeah. In that first little bit. And then we also in Utah, we had an earthquake the same day I got home. Oh, my gosh my baby. So that just added to it. So I think the anxiety is hard for me. It's been mostly, I have to limit how much, how often I check the news yeah. and how often I get on that type of social media. Cause yeah. otherwise I'll
0: just yeah.
2: unnecessarily stress myself out.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. Well, what on the other end of the spectrum, what feels hopeful right now? What's bringing you, what's bringing you little bits of hope?
2: Um, A lot being home now that we're home, I think being quarantined isn't too bad when for so long your goal was to get everybody home. Yeah. For the longest time in the hospital, I just kept thinking, all I want is my family, Yeah. safe at home. Well, we are. We're all safe at home. Yeah. So staying here for too long doesn't seem too bad. Right. We're also very lucky in that by the time we came home, like toilet paper was completely gone from the store's formula, diapers, wipes, things like that. You couldn't just go to the store and buy. And we hadn't had time to order them online or get them ahead of time because we'd been in the hospital. Our community and family stepped up so much. We had one day where we must have had three people doorbell ditch, diapers and wipes and things on our doorstep. Often we don't even know who.
0: Oh my gosh, that's amazing.
2: So it just really kind of solidified that with as much scary things are going on in the world, most people are going so far out of their way to help each other and do good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, Well, is there anything that you, you know, want other moms or other people to understand, maybe a perspective that you can offer that you think most people probably aren't thinking of right now?
2: I think for me, the one thing I took away from it was, and they don't super relate, but RSV and COVID-19, we were so cautious when our twins came home, not to get sick. Right. The first time, like when they
0: came home in February, you mean. Exactly. When they were
2: born and we first brought them home, we were so cautious. We hardly ever went out. They hardly saw anyone except for like grandparents and close family. And even then it wasn't, we washed hands. We used hand sanitizer and even then it wasn't enough. They still got RSV. Yeah. So for me, I feel like it's helped me understand why these guidelines seem so strict.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Because being mostly careful and being so careful often isn't enough. And if the worst case scenario happens, which for us it did, both our little girls were life lighted. Yeah. And that was just terrifying. And so I hated being in the hospital and wondering what moment
0: right. was it that
2: they caught it? What yeah. moment was it that somehow a, a virus got in? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so
2: I guess my thing would be even if the rules seem strict or harsh, it's easier to follow them than to maybe be wondering later. I wonder. Yeah
0: what little moment or what else I could have done. Yeah. I have to tell you I love their names. And I'm just yes, uh, you know, Megan has a Clara. And so there's a Clara among our eight kids. Um and I love the name Briar. I have a close friend with a Briar and you don't hear it very often, but such sweet names. What's your what's your toddler's name? Elanie. Oh, that's really pretty. And is she two?
2: She's two and a half, yes.
0: Okay. Well, Mm -hmm. I just hope that coming through this is, you know, all it's all positives from here as they grow and get stronger so they are are they about two months now the twins
2: yep they just turned two months
0: well I just hope that it is you know all little baby smiles and rolly legs and all of the fun parts of growing babies from here on out because you guys endured quite a road there the last several weeks so
2: (laughs) thank you we're appreciating it (laughs) yeah
0: well Jesse thank you for coming on and sharing your story and for being here with us
1: yeah thank you Sarah, the stories we've been hearing and sharing as part of this special Pandemic Perspective series are so important, and they've really got me thinking about ways to help and make an impact. I know that right now our listeners are also eager to make a difference, so we're excited to share a great opportunity from our friends at Crisis Text Line.
0: Yes, so Crisis Text Line offers 24-7 support from trained crisis counselors all delivered via text to people in crisis. As you can imagine, our current national situation with people stuck at home and sometimes in unsafe or unhealthy situations, it's really created a huge demand for extra mental health support.
1: Crisis Text Line is responding to that need by building up its base of volunteer crisis counselors, and this could be a perfect opportunity for you. You don't have to have any particular education or work background to apply, just a desire to help out and empathy, which we know our listeners have so much of. Oh, yeah. And you'll also need a strong Wi-Fi signal.
0: You can do this important work during nap time, after the kids are in bed or before they get up in the morning. You can do it in your pajamas, on the sofa, wherever you are and whatever your home life situation crisis text line can accommodate you as a volunteer. Crisis Text Line provides all the training you'll need to turn your desire to help into the skills and knowledge you need to make a difference. It's actually 30 hours of training, so it's a big commitment, but you can be confident that you'll have the tools and information you need to do the work.
1: This is such a great way to make a difference right now when we know so many of you are feeling helpless because you're stuck at home. Just go to themomhour.com slash CTL. Even if you can't get started right now, it's a good idea to go through the application and training process because we know the mental health impact of COVID-19 is going to last for some time. Applying to become a crisis counselor is a great way to start the ball rolling on a volunteer opportunity that could be really rewarding and impactful now and in the future.
0: And if you're having a hard time right now and you need some help, you can also get support right now. Text GO to 741-741 and you'll be connected to a trained crisis counselor. It usually takes less than five minutes to connect with someone who can provide a listening ear. You don't have to be in a dire situation to reach out. Crisis Text Line really is for any situation where you need some extra help and support.
1: Again, if you're interested in applying to become a crisis counselor, go to themomhour.com slash ctl to get started. Or if you could use some support yourself, text go to 741741 and you'll be matched with a counselor of your own. Again, that's themomhour.com slash ctl to apply to become a volunteer crisis counselor or you can text go to 741741 to be connected with a crisis counselor. Hi, everyone. This is Megan and you're listening to Pandemic Perspectives on the Mom Hour. Today, I'm talking with Jillian, a mom of four from New York. Jillian, tell us about you and your family, including your kids' ages and what you and your partner do for a living.
4: Sure. So my name is Jillian Goddard, and I am a private practice endocrinologist in New York City. I live with my husband and my four children just north of New York City in Westchester County, and um, my children are 12, 9, 6, and Four. Mm. and my husband is an attorney also in New York City, so we both typically commute into the city for work. I imagine
1: that the um, the role of being a doctor has changed a lot <laughs> um, as has your life because now you've got four kids at home who are doing all their schooling from home so um, tell us about that how is your life looking different than it did uh, a month or so
4: ago um, in all the different ways sure so as most people might imagine uh, working from home as a physician was not something that the vast majority of us did until a few weeks ago, and our systems were really not set up for it. Telemedicine was this tiny little subset of how people were practicing medicine, and my practice used absolutely zero telemedicine wow. a month ago. Um, Now, for people who don't need to be seen or are very high risk to be out in the community, we're using a lot of telemedicine. And at this point, I would say that my practice is half to two thirds telemedicine. Wow, that's a big change. (laughs) Huge, huge. Um, And so we had to kind of navigate how to deliver telemedicine kind of on the spot. And I am, so I'm in private practice. I have three partners and then we have a dietitian in our office. We're all endocrinologists and we usually have a very high volume practice. We see about a hundred patients per day in our office wow. on a typical day. And right now we're probably seeing something in the neighborhood of a quarter of that physically mm. in our office. Those that are coming in are people who need blood work. We do have a lab in our office and it does offer them the opportunity to have blood work without having to go to a commercial lab, many of which in New York City are actually closed um, or to a hospital to get blood work because people are obviously a little nervous to do that in New York City right now. But that does mean that we're suddenly doing, you know, many, many uh, telemedicine visits Per day, and that is a huge change for us. I'm also not typically someone who works at home. I used to have one admin day a week where I did just paperwork and Mm -hmm. maybe made some phone calls, and I did that from home. But now I'm at home three days a week and in the office two days a week, um, which is a huge change for me. The other thing that's been a little tricky is so we're a completely independent practice. We are not owned by a hospital or a bigger entity. So we're essentially a small business. Um, We employ about 20 people and we rely on our volume of patient visits. That's how we get paid. Mm -hmm. We see people and we get paid by their insurance and they pay their co-pays. And that's really how our business runs. So when our volume is cut by three quarters, That obviously significantly affects our cash flow um, and affects our ability to maintain our staff. Um, Luckily, there's a little bit of a a lag in payments, so we're still seeing money coming in right now. But depending on how long this goes on, we really are looking at, unfortunately, having to think about how we can maintain our staff. Mm. We do have a bunch of our staff working remotely now, which is new. So they can answer phone calls from patients and prescribe prescriptions and do many of the things that they were doing in the office. Um, A lot of our front desk staff can work from home, which has been nice as far as being able to keep them safe and just overall reduce the number of people in the office. but medical assistants really have to be physically present to draw blood and take vital signs. Uh, And so we've really had to think about how to keep our patients safe, how to keep our staff safe, and also how to keep our business going.
1: Yeah. Wow. And on top of all that, now you and your husband are both trying to run your businesses from home and you have four kids in the house (laughs) who are doing schoolwork all day. That is correct. Yes. So there's a lot. So It all sounds hard, but really what feels the hardest right now in your life?
4: I think the thing that feels the hardest is that there's no concrete end. Mm -hmm. No one knows when things are going to quote unquote get back to normal um, or what that's really going to look like. I think that the day by day of this is really hard for me. I'm a real planner. I'm the person who plans out their goals, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year and has everything set up. Um, and so not being able to have clear plans moving forward, like, will my children go back to school physically this year or will it not be until the fall? Will our, when will our office volume start to return to normal? Um, those things are really hard to plan for yeah. when nobody knows the answer to those questions. Right. And Jillian, I know that you've been going through
1: a really um, a personal stressor um, that's been happening within your family that made all this even harder. You want to tell us about that?
4: Sure. So my husband's mother, who lives out in California near his sister, um, has been suffering from dementia for a while, um, about two years or so. And in the last three to four months, unfortunately, she has really shown a significant progression in her dementia. Um, my husband had planned to go out and visit her at the beginning of May, and it was unclear whether he was going to be able to do that. And then earlier in March, uh, the caretakers at the facility that she was living in felt like she was really taking a significant turn for the worse. And she was placed on hospice for several weeks. My sister-in-law wasn't even allowed to go in and see her because even though she was on hospice, there are other residents Mm. where my mother-in-law lived who are obviously at high risk of of developing severe disease from COVID 19. And so the facility was closed to visitors. Um, the hospice nurses were, as healthcare workers, able to go in and see her. And then about two weeks ago, they said they really felt like she had just days um, uh, left before she passed away. Under typical circumstances, my husband, when it would have been on a plane out there to spend that time with his sister and his mother and when he looked into it it wasn't clear that if he got on a plane that he was going to get there or that mm. he was be allowed to see her because we live in New York where the incidence is so high many states and facilities are not allowing New Yorkers in without a two-week quarantine and obviously this is was a situation where a two-week quarantine in California really just was not going to work right um so unfortunately um, in the last days of my mother-in-law's life he was not able to physically be with my sister-in-law and my mother-in-law mm. um, unfortunately she did ultimately pass away last week. Um, And that's been really different too, because usually when we lose loved ones, and so many people are dealing with this right now, but usually when we lose loved ones, our ways of mourning and coping with the loss are really focused around gathering together physically. And, you know, my mother-in-law was a relatively religious person and we would typically be having a funeral mm-hmm. and, and doing all the things that we would usually do to mourn her passing. And I think that that has been, obviously we're not traveling to California to have a funeral. Um, but it's also just kind of delays how we all respond to it. Like it didn't really Um, happen
1: in a way or something I can imagine. It feels
4: very surreal. Yes. Um, And I think especially for my middle children, my my four-year-old doesn't really understand what's going on um, in a real way. But for my nine-year-old and my six-year-old especially, it has felt really difficult to comprehend and difficult to process because Mm. they haven't been able to, to sort of process it and be there and, and to think about it. It's like we told them that it happened and then they kind of passed on to the next thing. And for a child, of course, to some degree, that may be normal, a normal response. But I also think our inability to gather together as a more extended family and to, and to really mourn together has, has affected how, how we're all processing this. Mm. And at this point, obviously, our plans are completely up in the air because while we're certainly planning to do some celebration of her life, uh, once we can all travel to be together, we just don't know obviously like anyone else when that's going to be um the other thing i think that was really hard for my sister-in-law was that she had to be there really you know without her brother supporting her yeah. or the other person who was closest to my mother-in-law and and she was dealing with difficult logistics it was difficult to get a priest to come in and give her last rites um in the home and i know in many places uh clergy people are not allowed to go into these places to do the kinds of um things that we would usually do at the end of someone's life so it's all been a little more difficult because the usual ways we do things are completely changed but i think it also has made it a little less tangible in mm-hmm. a way
1: I could totally see that. And I wonder if um, there's going to be this, you know, once everything kind of gets back to normal, there's going to be almost this like (laughs) concentrated flood of grief over these things because it'll have been building up for all these months and then everyone will actually get to go see people and experience it. It'll be interesting. What a strange time we're living in. It is,
4: isn't it? Does anything feel hopeful to you right now? I think there's been a number of things that have kept me going. We live in the Northeast and no matter what, spring is, is coming. And in fact, spring was a little bit easy early this year. So yes. it was <laughs> nice to see some blooms on the trees and our grass is turning green. And with warmer weather, we have been able to get outside most days, which I think has really been so helpful. Um, we are also very lucky to have an au pair. Who lives with us. Okay. So we usually also have a part-time childcare uh, person who comes in. Um, and she has not been coming in uh last week and this week. Um, but we do have childcare at home, which I think makes us so much luckier than so many other people out there who are trying to take care of their kids' school and take care of their jobs. Um we really couldn't do it without her. And she has just been such a trooper. She's always cheerful and she's really just picked up so much slack that, I mean, I don't know what we would do without her.
1: I'm really happy for you. And that's so convenient that she lives in your house. (laughs) She's already there.
4: (laughs) She's already here and she
1: can't go anywhere. Right. Yes. It's almost (laughs) like stuck with us, better or
0: or worse. (laughs) Yes,
1: exactly. Well, what do you wish other moms and maybe just other people in general understood about your experience um, with COVID-19, both through your job and where you live and um, just kind of from your perspective?
4: Sure. I mean, I think... There's been a lot of attention on the doctors who are in the hospital working to take care of the sickest patients. And that is great. And they are doing an amazing job. And I I mean, my hat's off to them as well. Um, But there are a lot of doctors out there who are struggling to figure out how their practice fits into this and really navigating a totally new... Situation and trying our best to still take care of our patients who don't have COVID-19, but still need care and attention in a way that keeps them safe and keeps them out of the hospital. I feel like that's my biggest yes. job right now, is to try and keep as many people as I can <laughs> safely out of the hospital. Um, and we're really kind of navigating this for the first time. And so, you know, when my calls are clunky and maybe the video is not amazing um, because I have, you know, three kids downstairs Zooming classroom meetings. Yeah. Just just bear with us. And, (laughs) you know, we're all we're all sort of navigating this together. Um, Also remembering that we are a small business, and we really are doing our best to stay afloat and take care of the people that work for us, to keep them safe, to keep ourselves safe, because if we don't stay healthy, we can't take care of all of you, and and to keep our families safe and to navigate all the same things that a lot of other small businesses are navigating right now.
1: That's really that's a really um, helpful perspective. I think that sometimes from the outside it can look like are we going totally scorched earth? Is everything done canceled? And there's unintended consequences of that. And your comment about trying to keep people out of the hospital is so, is so important um, because that is a big part of what you're doing, which requires you to work. And yeah, this, I, I think that there's all these nuances and shades of gray sometimes that come into what we do, what, how we function in the world right now and how out there in it we are. And it's interesting to hear how that plays out for you. Well, Jillian, thank you so much uh, for being on the show and sharing your experience. Um, I just really appreciate your perspective as a doctor and a mom of many all crammed together in a house, uh, getting on the internet all day, just like mine are right now. So (laughs) thank you so much.
4: Of course, it was my pleasure.
0: We have so enjoyed getting to know so many of you and hearing your stories for this series. It's just really eye-opening to get a sense of how this is all playing out in different families and careers and communities across the United States and beyond.
1: Yes, and if you've been listening along and thinking, oh, I wish they'd done a story that reflects my experience, here's your chance. We're still looking for guests to be interviewed as a part of the series over the next few weeks, and we would love to share your story.
0: In particular, we're still looking for stories of small business owners and employees, retail, restaurant, hospitality, service businesses, people whose livelihoods have been interrupted and will continue to be impacted by COVID-19. If that's you or if you have another story you'd love to share with us, please visit themomhour.com slash perspectives to fill out a short form letting us know more about your story and we'll be in touch. Again, that's the slash perspectives to let us know how COVID-19 is impacting you, your family, your business, and your community. We hope to hear from you soon. Hey, everyone. This is Sarah, and you are listening to Pandemic Perspectives on The Mom Hour. Today, I'm talking with Heather, a mom of three from Minnesota. Heather, welcome, and tell us about your family, including your kids' ages, and what you do for your living.
3: Hi Sarah, thank you for having me. Um, I have three kids, so I have a 13, almost 14 year old stepson who lives with us about half the time, and then I have a um, almost seven year old son who is in first grade. His name's Colin, and a four year old son. And I work for Mars Wrigley Candy Company for a living, so I work in sales and category management, um, kind of in an office job for the Target account. So essentially helping the company Target help decide what candy to sell and when to put it on sale and all of that. And then my husband is a meat and seafood manager for a grocery chain here in the Twin Cities. Awesome. Um, Well, I'm eager
0: to dig into both of those things because food and food service um, and grocery is obviously really affected right now by all of this. So, I guess my first question is, what's the biggest way that your life and your husband's life looks different than it did, say, a month ago with all of this?
3: So, I think that we're pretty fortunate. Uh, first of all, that we're still working right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the same is cannot be said for everyone. So, we're really lucky that we can still be working right now and bringing an in income when not everyone can. Mm-hmm. Uh, Definitely the biggest change has been more on my husband's side. So as people started ramping up and panic shopping and all of that, he's put in a lot more long hours and he's definitely putting himself um, in a position where he's at risk because he's out interacting. Whereas someone like me who can work her job fully from home, um, I haven't left the house much at all over the last three weeks. Um, And I'm able to still be productive and kind of get my stuff done while sheltering in place.
0: Let me ask you about that with your husband. Like, Is he interfacing both with customers as well as like vendors or is it mostly behind the scenes? Tell me a little bit. Take me behind the scenes of the grocery world. So
3: he's essentially that person where if you go into your local grocery store and go to the meat counter and need assistance from the... um, They call it the full service case. Okay. So he at any given time could be the person who is, you know, wrapping up your Mm -hmm. steak and handing it over to you. Um, Or he could be in the back cutting the meat products. He could be stocking the meat products. So definitely interfacing with a lot of different people, whether that is, um, like you said, the vendors who are bringing product in and working Mm -hmm. with him on ordering or the customers who are in their everyday shopping.
0: And um, in addition to the long hours, is he, is his store, going through changes in terms of like the, the shopping that they're allowing or the hours, or, I mean, I'm sure they are every, everyone's affected by this, but anything um, come to mind about things that have changed in that, in that job over the last few weeks?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So he is working for Hy-Vee. And I know some of the things that they've done are they've shortened the hours that they're open in the first place. And I believe that they've uh, left maybe an hour in the beginning or the end of each day for um, essentially asking people to not shop during that time, unless you're at a high risk so that they can keep the store less busy during those times. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that they've also done things where there are circles on the floor that are six feet apart. So if you're lining up to go through the cash register, um, you know, sort of helping people see the distance that they should be keeping, um, he definitely is just doing his part to be like, hey, I'm sorry, can you give me some space while mm-hmm. I'm stocking this area? You know, I'll help you in just a second um, as much as he can personally as well.
0: Yeah, I'm sure he's seeing, as we all are, uh, different degrees of compliance <laughs> with yeah, recommendations. Definitely. Like you do you, you see people following to the letter and then sometimes you see behavior where you're like, oh, OK, <laughs> I like, didn't get that the memo. So I'm sure he's absolutely. seeing all kinds.
3: Absolutely. I think his biggest challenge um, is that he sees people, I think, as we're all cooped up and if you're not used to being home all the time Mm -hmm. there, because grocery stores are one of the few places still open. He's seeing people use that as a destination to get Mm. out of the house, Mm. um, which certainly he would not recommend Mm -hmm. doing um, just because it puts more people in more people right. walking around and breathing and touching and all yeah. of that. And you mean
0: like bringing all your kids, like bringing the whole family, like exactly. Along. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, and certainly there are people who can you know, don't have another option. They're a single parent and
0: 100% the yes. only time
3: they can go. But where it can be avoided, you know, we don't need five people from one family there at right. one point.
0: You know. 100%. Yes. And I'm glad you brought that up because if there is no choice and that's the way that you get food, that's different. But Looking at it as a, a family outing to get
3: out of the house is different. So,
0: I want to ask you what feels hardest right now in your family and in your experience?
3: I think for us, the hardest part is um, with the younger kids. Again, I have a four year old, six year old. Uh, the 13 year old understands a little bit more, but that has its own challenges. Yeah. Um, but my four year old most days will ask me if the coronavirus is going to be over tomorrow. Yeah. Um, we're, uh, also in a really privileged position that our uh, preschool or daycare is still open. Wow. So um, in Minnesota, we have a stay at home order, but um, daycares were not closed as part of that mm-hmm. because they want them open for essential workers. Mm-hmm. We worked with the preschool and they said they would rather have, you know, the small group of kids there where their parents need to be going to work mm-hmm. or working. Um and so they're still having some interaction, but then they come home and they see the neighbors playing and, you know, the mean mom is telling them that they can't go over yeah. there and play with them. So that's, I think, just trying to work with their version of what reality is right now and not make it too limiting and scary and yeah. but while still being safe.
0: Yeah. And you're so right. Four is an age where the sense of time is really hard, you know, like tomorrow <laughs> Um it that's yeah, that's really hard um and what feels hopeful this is a wide open question, so maybe something that you've noticed about your community coming together or something your husband notices, but I think it's really um interesting to hear the little points of hope that people are seeing in their communities so what what feels hopeful to you right now?
3: I think just in general, seeing the good in people and how willing people are to help out when we're in a situation that warrants it you know we have um neighbors who are single and alone in the house and just you know checking on each other and making sure that everyone is okay and doesn't need anything um that's it for me because i think in our current political environment and all of that stuff it can be really hard to see good sometimes mm-hmm. And I think you see it all over the Internet. Um, I cried this morning watching John Krasinski's Some Good News. I don't know if you've seen that. I, so It's
0: funny. But Before I got on the line with you, it crossed my feed, So I'll have to go back and watch it. But um, yeah.
3: Yeah. I, you know, just seeing all of that compiled and the good that people are capable of and are willing is, I think, what makes me hopeful that yeah. we'll all be OK at the end of this.
0: Yeah, well, it is it's valuable to find. And sometimes those hopeful things come across our path and other times we need others to kind of point them out because I feel like we've all had days where it's harder to find that. So for sure. Is there anything that you would like other moms to know or other people to know perhaps about, um, it could be about working in the food industry or just anything that you're not seeing come to light that you'd like others to know?
3: Um, I feel like I've seen this a little bit all over the place, but the biggest thing for me is, um, as a mom, is it, it's not the social distancing Olympics. I've seen that phrase. <laughs> um, I think it's really easy when you're just trying to keep your focus on something to um, judge how other people are mm-hmm. going through things. Mm-hmm. But I really just think do what works best for you. Understand that people have different pain points and different circumstances that make this a better or worse experience Mm -hmm. for them. Um, I recognize my own privilege in Mm -hmm. that with some of the things that I have while also understanding that, you know, I have my husband who is in harm's way a little bit more Mm -hmm. and that's a different part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the biggest thing. Just recognize that everyone has a different situation and you should just do what's best for you and your family and not try to make it about you being better or surviving this Better than
0: someone yeah. else. Yeah. I'm I'm starting to hear that point of conversation come up more and more. And I'm so glad because I think it's an important part of the conversation, which is that it's not the Olympics, as you say, and that we each get to experience this in whatever way is true for us. And that's not taking away from or comparing or winning <laughs> Against every, anybody else's experience, so like the example that I've seen used is like it's okay to be sad about missing a concert or a birthday party, and still have the broader perspective that in the grand scheme of things, those are relatively minor. There's room for all of that, I think. Um, so I'm glad that I'm glad that you brought that up.
3: Yeah, that totally makes sense, and I completely agree because I I can see the positive effects of this I mean there's some mm-hmm. of the positive effects of spending that time with your family but that can also mean that you want to kill them at the end <laughs> of the day because it's just stressful and hard and um, I've certainly had my share of extra anxiety and I've yeah. cried more over the yeah. last couple of weeks you know it's just but that doesn't mean I haven't done some things that make me feel good about the way I'm right. surviving it right
0: well, Heather thank you so much for coming on um, I feel like I learned a little bit about uh, just the the grocery piece of things um, there's so many different industries that are affected in unique ways and that's one of our goals with this not, to, not that we can cover every detail of everything but you know I don't know a, a grocery manager personally so I'm thankful to have a little better understanding of how your family is experiencing this and so thank you so much for coming on
3: of course thanks for having me
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening, and that way you'll get notified when our new episodes drop. Both the regular parenting and motherhood topics you're used to hearing from the Mom Hour, as well as this special series.
1: Also, if you're enjoying our podcast episodes during this time, we'd so appreciate your support in the form of a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Ratings and reviews help others find the show and they help us continue to grow so we can reach more moms.
0: We'll be back with you on Tuesday with another all new episode of the Mom Hour. Talk to you then.